This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Cause we're gonna be Hey everybody, it's Gary Vay, Nurchuk, and this is episode 287 of the Ask Gary V Show. Uh, I'm very, very excited uh, for this episode. Not only is this gentleman my neighbor in two separate locations, but more importantly, he's somebody who I, I've admired from afar pretty much as soon as I started realizing there was business content in the world. And then he embarked on a book uh, that came out recently that went very deep into uh, into the world of uh, advertising and the stuff I was doing with VaynerMedia and then Beth Comstock, the former CMO of, uh, of uh, uh, and then former chair, you know, big, one of the great big executives in the corporate world, somebody I admire very much, texted me one day and said, hey, I want you to speak to Ken Aletta. he's writing a new book about the industry and literally it was a, a massive highlight for me and so sir, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, and so let's do this because <clears throat> I think the amazing part of uh, this show and the audience is uh, the dynamics of how many different kinds of demos watch the show. I'd love to get, before we get into the new book, I'd love to get uh, a two minute, three minute you know, bio. Tell us about your career. Because I've been watching a bunch of documentaries and you keep popping up, which makes me laugh. And you, you look the same. Makes just me the, laugh too. You know, right. Black hair instead of gray hair, but same face. <laughs> Um, I started, uh, I had a graduate degree in political science and thought I'd, I'd work in government or something like that. And I went to work for a guy named Howard Samuels who, was, uh, who invented baggies in the plastic clotheslines, a businessman, Interesting. upstate industrialist. He was running for governor and with my help, he lost. Uh, <laughs> so I was, uh, I, I was, um, I also worked at Bobby Kennedy's 1968 presidential campaign. Well, that's powerful. As a low level. Yeah. Um, that must have been inspiring and then devastating. De- both, yeah. <clears throat> um, and then I, I went to journalism um, and wrote, starting with Freelance, then The Village Voice, and New York Magazine, both. When Murdoch took over, did a hostile takeover, a group of us quit rather than, as a protest, rather than work for him. I then what year was, was that? That was 77. The winter of '77. Was that his first play in the States? No, his, his first play. He bought the New York Post um, in 76 and promised it would stay a liberal newspaper and then obviously reneged on that promise. Right. And he had bought the San Antonio newspaper as well, but he had done hostile takeovers in, in the UK and, and, and Australia before. So he had a bad reputation, but obviously an interesting businessman. Sure. Um, and then I, was, I, I went to work both at The New Yorker and writing column for the Daily News and did TV on WCBS TV political commentary. And I've written for The New Yorker since 77, and I've since written 12 books. 12? This is my 12th book. And what was the first book you wrote? It's called The Streets Were Paved With Gold. Okay. And it was about what happened to New York City, not only a fiscal crisis, but the flight of the middle class, the working class, the race, you know, polarization. Um, And I'm aware of that book. How did it do early on from a successful standpoint? uh, It was not a bestseller as some of the other books were, um, but it's a book I'm proud of. It, it was. Um, Did it put you on the map from a quality standpoint in the circles you cared about? Well, actually, you know, part of it, some of it ran in the New York Magazine. Mm-hmm. This was before the New Yorker, mm-hmm. in like 75. And I did a piece, should the people who hid budget deficits in New York City, like the mayor of New York, 
both Lindsay and Beam, mm-hmm. the governor, Governor Rockefeller, mm-hmm. uh, Walter Riston, the head of Citibank, um, some of the union leaders, uh, did they commit fraud right. and therefore a crime? And Milton Glaser was the who, name you probably know, the great art director of, of New York Magazine. And I said, this is the investigative piece I've done. And Milton, right in front of Clay Felco, the editor of, of New York Magazine, drew what he thought the cover should be. And it was, it was the mayor of New York behind bars, the governor behind bars, the bankers behind bars, the labor leaders behind bars. Um, and the headline was, should these people go to jail? And I said, oh my God, they've just made this piece come alive. I was writing a serious investigative piece, but, but he just crystallized why people would be drawn in and want to read that. So um, that, that was, was a big fun. piece. That was fun, yeah. And then I did, you know, just a, over the years, a, a number of other What books. was the most successful book you wrote of the 12? Like I think the two commercially most successful, they, they got up to number six on the bestsell, New York Times bestseller list, were the first was Greed and Glory on Wall mm-hmm. Street, and that was about the fall of Lehman Brothers and the greed in the mid-'80s infecting Wall Street. And the next one um, was in 91, and it was called Three Blind Mice, Yes, how the TV networks lost their yes. way, how they were being disrupted by a new technology which was cabled at yes. the time. And do you see a lot of parallels to what's going on with social media and things of that nature to, to that thesis as well, like platform shift of attention? Totally. Yeah. Um, I, I did a book which also did well as a seller of, called Googled yes. in 2009. And that was a book about disruption, how yep. Google and mm-hmm. digital world was disrupting the legacy media world of newspapers and magazines and music, et cetera. And then the, this current book is about how the disruption that visited legacy media was now visiting the advertising world. How did you get to the new book, Frenemies, right? Yeah, how did I get to it? What's the subtitle? It's called Frenemies. The Epic Disruption of the Ad Business, in parentheses, mm-hmm. and everything else. Yes. And I, I said, here I am writing for the New Yorker, something called the Annals of Communication. I yes. follow the media business. and. Um, and yet I don't follow the advertising business, which funds the media business. And if you want to follow the old Watergate adage, follow the money, uh, shouldn't I be following what's happening with advertising? And so that set me off to... And to frame it up for everybody, and you know, it's really funny, and a lot of you know who I am. I'm a character that's, uh, I'm an unusual dude. I literally, genuinely, when I started VaynerMedia, knew nothing about the advertising world. I'd never watched Mad Men. I didn't know how it was structured. I had no idea that they were mainly run by publicly traded companies. I'd never heard of the name Mark. I mean, this is 2009. I, I'm 34 years old. I'm a businessman, but I'm in the wine business. I'm in Silicon Valley investing. So I'd never heard of Martin Sorrell or Omnicom or Publicis. I didn't know what a creative director was. I, I had never heard, of, as a matter of fact, VaynerMedia's, you would be blown away. The first 40 employees of VaynerMedia, first of all, it's called VaynerMedia, and what we did was social media creative. We didn't do any media at the time. I mean, I knew we would. Number two, the first 40 people hired had zero days of advertising experience. Why'd you hire them? I hired them because I knew that when I would have conversations with the one or two people, I met like three people and you know, a couple friends were like, you should hire somebody from an agency. I'm like, mm, that makes a whole lot of sense. And I sat down with them in 2009 and 10, and I'm trying to talk to them about why we're gonna focus on Twitter and Facebook. And you know, 
look, I'd already built a very large wine business. I had already invested in Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr. I had already had a New York Times best-selling book. I was a businessman, and I was 35, and they would try to convince me on why I needed to focus on television commercials. Basically, every one of the reasons I admire and like you so much is you do two things that I like. One, you talk about what's coming, but in actually it's already here. And right. that is a very important statement. And that's where my attachment is to a lot of what I do. People think that I'm a disruptor. Or da, da, da. This has already happened. Facebook's happened, it's not coming. And people, for financial, short-term, selfish reasons, hold on to the past. And they don't acknowledge the present, not the future. And these are, you know, I speak a lot publicly. Gary Vee's here, he's a disruptor. First line, I'm like, I'm practical. I'm unemotionally practical, I wanna be historically correct. And I play for that. So nonetheless, I interviewed three people, they were completely, completely and utterly incapable of understanding what was actually happening and they were holding up the romance of an award or an adage article or arbitrary Nielsen ratings or there was nothing smart coming out of anybody's mouth that was senior or emerging in the ad world and I decided, you know what, I'm gonna hire a bunch of kids and I'm gonna teach them, I'm gonna make sure that they don't know anything about that old world, I'm gonna establish a DNA and a culture of kindness and curiosity and and really the currency that I believe in, which is the pulse of the moment, uh, and that's what we did. And that's what you we know, did. It's interesting, every time you, I've written a lot about disruption over the years, um, and, and every time you do that and you probe and you do these interviews, you find people in legacy media who deny the reality of what is happening to them, and they do it for lots of reasons, and one of the reasons they do it is, was Clayton Christensen of Harvard wrote a great book several years ago called The Innovator's Dilemma, and in it he argues that if you have an existing business that is generating money and has a reasonable stock price, the thought that you're gonna divert money from your existing business to some digital upstart and be punished by crazy Wall Street because of it, you don't do it and you get frozen in place and by the time you look up, your business is gone. Ken, let me throw you a curve, not a curveball. let me tell you what I'm fascinated by. I've always believed that, I see it every day. I genuinely believe the majority of the Fortune 500 consumer packaged good companies in America are so in trouble, they have no, the Crafts and the Unilevers and high, you know, they are unbelievably in trouble because of what's happening with Amazon, what's happening with television and OTT and big box retail and they're on the drug of Walmart and the channel conflict wars of the future are gonna be remarkable, which means Pepsi wants to go direct, but Albertsons and Walmart and Costco won't let them, and meanwhile, that's gonna be the demise. That's, you're gonna to get to that one next. What's fascinating to me is, you're right, I've always been able to pray, pray on the fact that people are held accountable in 90-day windows, and they will never invest, and they will always be CFOs, not CEOs, is how so, I think about that, it. That begs the question, Please. Though, Unilever comes to you yes. and says, we want to hire you yes. to do yes. a, a big piece of our marketing. Yes. yes. What do you say to them? I say, sure, but please let me do what I want to do. And then they say, sure, that's why you're here. And then systematically, from day two till year six, they close in the reins of what I'm able to do. And, and you, know, you know what's funny about me, Ken? You know this a little bit. Like, 
This is gonna be on LinkedIn. Like, I'm not hiding. I'm telling my clients that I don't believe in, I'm, I'm hiding even less. The only reason I'm building VaynerMedia is to buy my clients' brands when they go out of business. I'm literally gonna buy Head & Shoulders and Cracker Jacks and Wheaties and you know Dove Soap. Like That is literally why I came into the industry. I don't wanna be the next WPP. I don't wanna build an agency. I wanted to meet people and build capabilities so that when the carnage came, I would be in a financial position to pick up these brands and run them. I wanna buy the New York Jets by buying Rolling Rock. I was Rock. wondering when you get it's around gonna, to I'm that. I'm gonna get to that. I wanna buy Rolling Rock for $230 million from InBev, ABI InBev, and then sell it to Miller Coors for 1.7 billion after I run it for six years. And what do you, but, but that begs Please. the question, what would you do over those six years of running it? That's I would different. change the, I, well, liquor let's leave out because the three-tier system, but okay. let's say it's, um, let's use a head and shoulders. I would become disproportionately capable at Amazon and Shopify, and I would not spend money on television and print and programmatic digital, and I would spend it on Facebook and Instagram and original media like podcasting. I would contemporize the business around nostalgia or legacy brand. And how would you create a direct relationship with the consumer? By is, creating one through marketing and comms, which is actually marketing where they actually are. That's the punchline here. Right. Like the way they score, the margin is in television and programmatic. That's why those five holding companies sell that. So what did you discover? Instead of me yapping my, and pontificating, because that's only one angle or perspective or purview, what was the ahas? of the ad world. And it is the Ask Gary Vee Show. I, do you have some questions on LinkedIn? Do we, uh, Facebook, start putting in phone numbers today because I, this is, in, you, my fans always know when I really respect someone. Instead of calling and being super pumped to talk to me, which is always flattering, I really want heavy advertising industry questions. If you're in the ad world, this is the time to put your phone number. Please respect that. We have tons, we've done 280 shows, we'll do 280 more. Let's really focus on the, on the subject matter at hand because it is a, you know, the thing that happens when you're in industry, no matter how much you're cynical to it, you start getting very emotional about them. I've fallen in love and made real friendships. I have real friends at Starcom and MediaVest and you know Omnicom because they're just nice people and they don't see it. They don't see it. This is like religion and politics. They actually don't see it. And they don't see it. But Ken, you, when, I, you, when you ask the aha moments, that's certainly one of them. The blindness of people. Uh, and related to that is the insecurity of people. They don't see And the it. audacity. The, Ken, but, how much audacity is in the system? Well, the, the, there's habits in the system. Okay. And you can call it audacity, but people doing the same thing yes. over and over again. And not being able to get off that track yes uh, but and yet at the same time as there's denial of that their business is fundamentally threatened there's insecurity they're aware that they don't have the same pay level to attract people the way a Facebook and Google sure does for instance or this insecurity that that the mistrust that the clients have for the agencies uh, and there's and there's insecurity about the math men taking over from the madmen yes um, and, and and so that's one of the reasons they hire a guy like Michael Casson, who's one yes. of the major characters in my book. He gives them a sense of security. He can introduce them to his clients, Facebook and Google, yes. and Microsoft, yes. and, and the agencies, et cetera. And I was just struck by the, this kind of contradiction between the kind of smugness or comfort level and yet the insecurity. Well, and they're opposites. But that's to me, that to me is the 
characteristics of the moments before the incumbent takes a fall. I don't think there's any question. I mean, I mean I'm sure that was the theme of all, every time you've delved into any industry, that's the exact, I mean, literally, right. you know, I, I always think about uh, this when it comes to business. There's two ways to build the biggest building in town. One is to just build the biggest building in town. Two is to spend all your time tearing down everybody else's building. And when I see behavior number two from a collective, I know it's game over. Right. And so that's what we're seeing. So, so okay, so that makes sense, but I think that's an unbelievably common theme that you probably saw in the TV landscape. I, man, I, do you have the recordings of, when you write a book like the, about the three networks not seeing what's happening with cable, do you have the actual recordings, like audio? Are, I record every Are they I your do. IP or are they the publisher's IP? They're mine, I own. I have own. you thought about putting them out as a podcast? I mean, I would, I don't consume anything, but I would listen right now to whoever was running ABC talking about cable television with the blind audacity that she or he did in 19, when did, when did you write that book? Came out in 91. In it, it was a five year project. First of all, that's laughable to me to begin with. Here's why. Well, five years, that makes sense. To me, the thought that in 1991, there was still any debate that cable was disrupting the big three is exactly kind of how I, you know, look at this. Look at how many goosebumps I'm getting. Look at this. It's kind of the way I feel right now, which is how does anybody debate the Facebooks already and, and social media and the mobile device with social platforms eating up all the content consumption? And OTT, the th- by the way, the three networks, now obviously Disney owns ABC, but as an individual unit, ABC, CBS, and NBC are completely out of business in today's world. I mean, they're not yet, but they have no place outside of live well, sports. But here, here's what's interesting about it, and one of the reasons I made Les Moonves one of the characters in my book, I, I did a chapter where I say, can, can old media act like new media? And, and I use Moonves and, and, and CBS, and arguably Les Moonves is the most successful modern television executive yes. in the last yes. quarter century. No question. And you look at it, and, and when I go back to the book I wrote in 91, Three Blind Mice, yes. CBS was 100% reliant, as were the other networks, yes. on one source of revenue, advertising. That's right. Since then, yes. the government passed the Cable Act in 1992, a yes. year after my book, which gave them something called retransmission consent, which means the cable companies had to pay them to run their programs. CBS last year got a billion dollars just out of that, new revenue. In 94, the government passed FinCEN regulation changes, which allowed the, the networks to own and sell programs becomes another source of revenue. But the third new source of revenue is with the digital platforms sure. like Netflix yep. and Amazon yep. coming on, they decide, the networks, that they're gonna sell their programs or their libraries yep. to, the IP. to them. That's right. right. And and arguably, that it, it last year it gave $250 million each to Fox and yep. $250 million to CBS. Yes. That's great, right? Yes. But what are they really doing? And my, one of the reasons I use the title frenemy in the book is that Netflix is a frenemy. Of course. They're a friend in that they're giving you $250 million. But what are you doing really when you do that as old media CBS? You're giving up, you're giving up the last, you're, the touch point is the most important thing. Precisely. The and touch point's the game. Whoever's closest to the consumer wins. So if I'm a consumer, of course. I say, I don't have to wait any longer to Thursday night for this That's program to come on. Of course. A, B, I don't have to watch commercials on Netflix or HBO or Showtime. Of course. And C, 
I, I am basically giving ammunition to my competitor. To the kill distribution's me. been commoditized because of the internet. It's now only about the IP. Right. So, okay, back to the advertising world. Do you have a question? Yes. Yeah, let's go. Let's actually move on to that, and we'll come back. What do you got, Andy? Oh, you're going to call somebody. Yeah. Very nice. Good. No, no, that's fine. That's perfect. Right. So while you're doing that, uh, but you know, gonna, the, I want to talk about Cast and a Media Link. Because I'm but curious. I want to just film one other thing. Yeah, please. The, the largest, the, there are lots of frenemies in, in the advertising world. There's a lot of frenemies in every business, right? That's right. But the biggest frenemy I discovered, which goes back to your aha moment question, mm-hmm. in the advertising world, the biggest frenemy is the public. The public you need to sell your ads and to, and to buy products. But the, but the public increasingly is armed with tools to prevent your ads from getting through, particularly on their cell phones. That's right. You know, be it ad blockers, twenty percent right. of Americans have an ad blocker. That's right. Fifty-five percent, according to Nielsen, who who record programs on the PVRs, yep. skip the ads. That's right. We don't want to be interrupted on a most personal oh, device. Time we matters. Have. Right. Time matters. Ken, and there's another one, which is the hidden conversation in that, even when it's not being recorded by the data of an ad blocker or the Nielsen rating, there's something that has always been my ally in business. Her name is Common Sense. Here's what common sense tells you. I don't give a shit what data is being thrown around. When a commercial comes on television, for most Americans right now, they go and look at their phone. Period, end of story. There's nobody on earth, there's no report that's being functioned and funded by somebody else that's gonna convince me that Americans don't do that. The end. Attention is the asset. So then the question for the ad and marketing community is, what replaces that? If you can't get their attention with sales pitches, yep. with things that feel like a, an interruption, that's right. what replaces that? To me, they're gonna start looking more like media companies and less like advertisers. Okay, and, but, then the, but, but one of the things that, the, that I came back at me when I mm-hmm. would ask this question of people in the marketing mm-hmm. world and advertising mm-hmm. world, they would say, we're gonna, we're gonna offer you services, yep. not sales pitches. And because we're gonna be able to target ads, we'll know so much about you, Gary, yeah. that we'll be able to target ads at you. And then the question becomes privacy. Yeah. The more, it's a seesaw, the more sure. you, you target, the more privacy goes down. The more privacy goes up, the more targeting ability goes down. Sure. And that's one of the questions for the future. I don't know the answer to it. Here, here's, the, here's the best part. The best part, I wish I got, I wish we had a coffee before you started. There would have been one question, I would have begged you, even if you didn't use it as part of the book, just for our own fodder. Do you know what my favorite question to ask everybody in the advertising world is? Have you ever sold anything in your life? Have you ever worked retail? Or have you ever sold? Have you actually ever sold anything in your life? Because what the question over a thoughtful dinner and a bottle of wine, and if you have a fair audience and you're a bunch of friends and you actually talk it out, what you learn about the question, have you ever sold anything, my friend, is the following. You have two sides of the camp in the ad world right now. The math kids and the art kids. And they all claim theirs is it. The reality is, it's both. I agree. 50-50. I agree. 50-50. I don't know whether it's 50-50, but it's both. It's gonna be 50-50, and I'll tell you why I believe that. It's the, the data is scaling at a level that matters. You can get in front of people better than ever. To your point, it will always seesaw, but there'll be the next thing. As attention shifts, like, you know, Facebook won't hold it forever either. It's, you know, it's just that kind of game. Amazon won't hold it forever. They may have 10, 15, 20, 30 years, I don't know, seven, nine. 
but the art is the variable of success. I can get in front of everybody. I can get in front of everybody. Let's use politics because everybody loves to talk about Cambridge Analytic. I can get in front of every liberal and conservative all day long, all day long. But what's the picture in the video to get done what I want is the variable. I can get in front of somebody who buys cereal all day, but if I'm representing Cocoa Puffs, do I know what picture, what copy, what video to get them to do it? Here's the problem. They're all talking theory. My friend, they're all talking theory. Do you know how many practitioners are in the advertising world? Do you know how many people work at Omnicom Publicis and all these companies have are actual doers? And that, to me, is the punchline but, of the game. But, but, but doers, by doer you mean, what do you mean by doers? Who actually create or, or who have done sales? What, what, I'm not sure what you Sure. That's the punchline, Ken. Like, to me, my dream, you know, I always, you know, one of the reasons Vayner has grown is we could be much bigger. You know, you made a comment before we went in there, like, hey, nice new op, like, we're growing. You couldn't imagine if I was willing to give up 1% of my legacy, how big this company would be. If I was willing to sell programmatic, if I was willing to sell television, if I was willing to do that, this would be super over. They don't know how good they have it that I'm not willing to conform because I want to look good in the recordings and books when I'm 96. I'll give up the money. Short term, long term. Interesting. Yeah, so the answer, you know, he'll dial, but the answer is, anything, run a face, you know how many people have opinions on Facebook ads in the ad world and have never run one? Like just genuinely don't know what it looks like to run an ad. You know, and you know, they treat an award or a report like religion, neither map to actual business. Me? You know, Ken? No actual business, no practitionership. And yet they say, Alan, it's Gary Vee, you're on with Ken Aletta. Alan? Sir. It's Gary Vaynerchuk, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, you're on with Ken. Where are you from, what do you do, what's your question? I'm from uh, Houston, Texas. Thank you. So I own a, a publication here in, um, we're obviously trying to expand our publication into other cities. Okay. So we have a local niche, um, which reaches about 80,000 people a month. Um, is it a print publication? It is. And what's it called? Yes. It's called The List. The List. And what does it do? You go to our website, thelist.city. You go to our website, it's called thelist.city. Okay. And uh, if you go there, you can check us out there. Um, so, so far we're in two cities. Um, we're in Missouri City. We're also in Sugarland, Texas, um, which are predominantly the top two. Are we losing him with service? So we're working on basically um, expanding What's our publications into other cities across the country. Alan, what does the, uh, so, Alan, what does the list do? Well, we're a full marketing company, so we do everything. So we offer... Um, Advertising, you know, obviously that's where our um, revenue comes from. So we do print marketing, we do digital marketing, we do social media, we also help with web marketing. So we do a little bit of everything. Okay, and so what's the question? So the biggest thing is, is we're trying to, to scale up. 
So I'm just trying to figure out how, how we can scale. So we started in two cities. I want to use that mold that we have. And, you know, what's the best way to attract new, new businesses, new areas, um, based on kind of what I've already created from scratch? Why, why do people find it valuable when, I'm looking at the list.city right now, when those functions are so uh, available on Facebook and Google and the attention is there? What, what have you found has been the rationale of the businesses in those two cities that have made them want to pony up money in a world where they would get a lot more eyeballs and value out of doing those things on Facebook and Google? Right. Um, you know, obviously, we're, you know, we're part of both of those. Um, so the biggest thing is, is what we found uh, being, being in the publication industry is a lack of niche publications. And I think when you, when you have a niche that people like, that kind of gives them but know, what, the whole but what, But what's your, what's your niche? That it's local? Our niche is going to be more, it's, it's a community-based publication. So we do a lot of community content. We have community bloggers. We've got, you know, we've so got- So you're, uh, you're, you're replicating the old local newspaper, like the Milburn item in, you know, Milburn, New Jersey? No, not not like a newspaper. No, no. We're we we so we provide a lot of like relevant content. Obviously, we're not a weekly or daily newspaper. We're not the Chronicle, um, you know, or like the Houston Chronicle here. Um, but it's more of a niche that um, local people can can jump on um, that can help attract uh, you know local businesses, small mom and pop businesses that. You know, Alan, like a, Alan, a Alan, more affordable Alan, Alan, you need to help me here a little bit because the pitch is so gray. Um, I understand that you want local businesses to subsidize your business. That I've gathered, right? You go Absolutely. to you go to a local yes. town. If we win the attention of Albuquerque, New Mexico, I can get two hundred mm-hmm. to eight hundred dollars per restaurant lawyer. I get that. What the fuck yes, exactly. content are you producing? Like, what do you, what do you, how are you getting the citizens of Albuquerque to go to the site? Like, what are they consuming? What's the content? So we obviously direct them to our website. We put a nice write-up why you should join. It's free. I mean, obviously, it's kind of like uh, can you, can you, to like Hold Yelp, on, real quick. Yeah, can you help me? I, I think what I'm hearing now, now I'm, I think I understand for the first time, it feels like it's just a yellow pages, right? Like, is it just, it's just a directory of sorts, No. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's actually a combination of all of that. Um, so it's kind of like a Yelp, like a, like, I mean, it's, it's, you know, obviously they're, they're able to review, they're able to join. So and then it's like, like Yelp. Stuff. It is very similar, very similar so, to Yelp. Yes. So Alan, I think I know what you're doing. Tell me if you think I'm right, because if you tell me the truth that I'm right, then I can help you make more money, right? Perfect. I think, <laughs> I think what you're doing is you're just doing a good job in sales. I think what you're yeah. doing is you're just willing some revenue into the business because you've created the list, makes sense, I understand, but it doesn't have the scale that others do. There's the theoretical niche nature of the local market and then you and whoever else are just doing a good enough job of getting 50 to $800 per small business and as long as there's just a little traffic coming to it, they can, sup- they can justify that minimal investment, true? Correct. Cool. Correct. Here's yeah. what, cool. You know, we get about 
thirty to forty thousand impressions a month on our on our site. Fair so enough. It does pretty well. I mean, it's I not, get it's it. But that's good. thirty to forty thousand impressions a month on a website is like a bad Facebook post. You know, like like it's not a lot. But you know what's funny? I love what you're doing. Let me give you a great piece of advice. Hire interns and people fresh out of school. Pay them as little as possible, but is but good for them because they said yes. That's what they want. They want to learn sales, and and basically find young salespeople that don't cost you the most amount of money because your business is relying on small checks and just build a sales machine. You could pick any market, or you can pick a rabbi per market. You can say who wants to be a leader and. Topeka, Kansas, and then you can build out like the, the the actual product you're selling doesn't need to be that good based on you know the reality. And the reality is with minimal checks, a restaurant in Albuquerque, New Mexico may justify the $200 based on six visitors. It seems like you're playing the long, 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 long tail. I think the vulnerability of the business is you'd like to sell something that actually brings value, but at the end of the day, the market is the market, and if the the SMB sees value, there's something there. Ken? The the other thing I would do is take a look at what happened with Patch. Patch was a, a local online newspapers in communities around the country. There were several hundred of them. Yeah. Tim Armstrong was a major investor. AOL bought it, right? At, at some point? At, at, when Tim Armstrong yeah. took over AOL, yeah. he bought the company, yep. which he had started. Yep. And uh, it floundered, it okay. failed. Yep. And and I would look at why it failed. Well, I think they failed. Different. What I like about Allen, Ken, is they failed because their ambition and their steez was ahead of the reality of their business and they had so many costs in the system. Allen can build a very nice $250,000 a year business, 800,000, even up to $800,000. But Allen, look, look man, I, I love you and I wanna bring you value. You, you know, the product you have isn't unbelievably valuable. What I like about your potential is you could be in the long, 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 long tail of sales. As long you, as you keep huh? your sales, your costs down. That's right, he's got, that's what he has to, you know, listen, for a 15 to 27 year old who can afford, or by the way, for a 90 year old, for any human being that can afford what you're willing to pay them and they wanna learn sales or they just like it, you need to figure out, I actually I actually think one of the most interesting things that are brewing, do you know that I, I'm very, I'm, this is classic me, but I have an idea of starting you know, uh, a startup like incubator in a retirement home. You know how everything is, you know, these incubators, like people with time and ideas come in all shapes and sizes and I think we miss a lot. I, Alan, I think you need to find 69-year-old Gertrude and 17-year-old Rick and, and, and find people that can sell and if the ROI and what they're selling versus what you're paying them against your product works, that's how you scale. Brother, you are only in the sales business because your product is not valuable enough. Does that make sense? Cool, awesome, thanks Alan. Right, let's move on. I mean look, that's, that's reality of that. Ken, talk to me before we go to the next question. Wanna go back to the industry. Uh, you know, because I'm really fascinated from your perspective. One of the things I don't do well either is really learn my, I, I learn the customer. I spend a lot of time on the customer. I spend very little time on the competition. So I'm, I'm by the way, I'm pumped. I'm gonna read your book this late August because I'm gonna be off and like, I rarely read anything. So I'm super excited. I know Kasson's a big player. I know Michael. Who else kind of rears their head? What are your, some, what, what's been the feedback? Give me, give me six, seven minutes of the industry chatter. Who's mad at you? Who likes you? Who agrees? Who disagrees? What's been the buzz? The char- I try and tell the st- story of frenemies through characters. Okay. Michael Casson yes. is a connecting character. He's the power broker in the industry. Mm-hmm. He's, if there's a negotiation between a client 
and a platform and an agency, he, he's at that table oftentimes, and he represents all three. Yes. And you say to him, Michael, isn't that a conflict of interest? He says, no conflict, no interest. And, <laughs> and, you know, and one, one potential client said to him, Michael, why should I, do, why should I hire you? Uh, you? You kiss everyone in the yeah. business, and why should I trust that you're going to yeah. protect me? He said, you want a good kisser? I'm your man. Yeah, and he is a good kisser. he's, yeah. he's good at that. He's a character. Les Moonves, as I said earlier, yes. is a character. Trying looking at traditional yes. media and some of the questions yes. for the future. Carolyn Everson, yes. who's the head of advertising for Facebook, for Facebook, is a major character and a way to write about Facebook in the I book, see. which I do. Yes, uh, Martin Sorrell. Yes, who was recently left but yes. started WPP thirty three years ago. The real is icon, it, like kind of built iconic the biggest, figure, a, a, an interesting just a character. framework because I know a lot of kids are watching or people that don't know the industry. In the industry, the Mad Men stuff, you have an agency. You know, it used to be that they would place your media. You know, they would buy the ads on ABC or a billboard and make the pictures or videos that went into it. Those separated over the last 20 years. And then there's lots of different companies, but those all consolidated under the roof of, how do you position it? Four, five, six, how many big holding companies? Five, five big holding and companies. And who are they? The, they are, the, the leading one, the one with the most WPP? revenue, 21 billion is WPP, followed by Omnicom, Publicis, Havas, and Dentsu. Understood. And Publicis, I saw a bunch of people texting me today. It's happening, I guess, had bad earnings, and the market is down on all the holding companies. Yeah, the holding companies are suffering. The, the presumption is that they're too old, mm -hmm. too many costs that they have to mm -hmm. eat, mm -hmm. um, and that they can't move as fast mm -hmm. as, as, say, you can at VaynerMedia. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and but they that, have scale, right? There's a lot of people that want to work with Vayner, but if you're Crest or Colgate and you want to work with Vayner, you're excited about us, but you know we're established in the U.S., but we're emerging in the U.K. We're opening up Singapore in in March, but that's not going to mean anything to them right now. And if they need an agency and they got to be in South America, the global scale tends to work for these brands. And correct? And, and, and not only what are their advantages? Well, an advantage is data. They have more data than you do, yeah. and 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 increasingly the client is saying, "I need more data in order to be able to target." My ads. It's so messages. it's so sad that Colgate and Procter and Unilever don't realize two things: what that data actually is, and more importantly, the fact that they need to own the data. Yeah, that that, that and actually, it's one of the interesting things: renting data from a holding company that is dirty data for what you're trying to achieve, and more importantly, is actually commoditized because everybody has the same data. And the variable is, do you know how to move the levers in real time and make the pictures and videos? The fact that the industry believes what you just said makes me laugh inside and just makes me point to my wrist just a matter of time because people don't understand what the commodities are and what the value props well, are. Well, one of the things that's happened in the advertising business yep. is that the, the madmen of old, yes. the Don Drapers, yes. have, decreased, have lost power. That's right. And the media agency has gained power yes. in part because they supposedly have the data. Well, they have these, you know, they have these, data that they buy, then they deploy their, on the exchange and the data gets deployed against websites in banner ad form, which means the data is worthless because nobody looks at the banner ad. A DSP is not valuable right. if nobody sees the goddamn picture. But then increasingly, yes. the, those media agencies that have grown in power at yes. these holding companies, yes. they increasingly worry about the Facebooks and Google who have much better data. And because, but it's, you know what's so funny, Ken, and this is a point that what is just not being made and it's fun to talk to you because I know how well you do your research. Forget about having better data. It's because they have ad products that are actually being consumed. 
Ken, I'm telling you right now, like on my children's health, Facebook has great data, a DSP could have great data. We both know you're Ken, we both know you're seven, you know, like we know these things, right? Where do you see it? In a Facebook feed, you actually see it. Now we go fast, we don't see everything. You just see it better than you see it on a desktop banner ad on willywilly.com below the fold. That's all, this is just a game of where's the attention. Larry Page at Google once said to me when I was doing my Google book, he said, half the people click on the ads and you don't pay, Mm -hmm. the advertiser doesn't pay, which is very attractive, Mm -hmm. unless someone clicks on the Mm -hmm. ad. He said, half the people who do a search click on the ads because they see the ads as information. Yes. Not as a sales pitch. Yes. And so it becomes more valuable. Your point. Google's done a very good job of being a toll booth. If you're typing in Pepsi, they've convinced Pepsi to buy ads against Pepsi. They've done a very nice job being a toll booth. I'm excited to see what Alexa does to search. Andy, let's get to another question. Well, Um, Alexa, you think about it. Half the people who do a product search do it on Amazon, not on Google search. It's, it's, and wait to, wait to actual search, right? Hey Alexa, what's WPP stock price? That's just faster. I don't know that. When that gets. I do know WPP PLC is a British multinational advertising and public relations company with its main management office in London, England, and its executive office in Dublin. This is a really interesting moment because Thank you, Alexa. Uh, Alexa, stop. What's interesting about that is seven months ago, nine months ago, when I asked that question, all Alexa said was, sorry, I don't know. Every second, that little thing there is getting smarter and smarter and smarter and, it and smarter. And it changes search. Oh, it's gonna destroy search. People don't understand what's coming. Google better win with the Hello, Google Home Derek. or they're in trouble. Derek? Derek, it's Gary Vee, you're on with Ken Aletta. Gary, what's happening? Life is good, say hello to Ken. Hey, Ken. Hi. Good morning. Derek, where are you from? What do you do? What's your question? I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I own a small digital marketing agency, Facebook ads, Instagram agency for small businesses. So excited to talk Love to you it. guys. Of course. Um, what, what can we help you with? Traffic Labs is the name of our business, of course. Um, What's it called, brother? I Let's make sure we get out there. What's it called? Uh, Vital Traffic Labs is the name of our business. Vital Traffic and, Labs. Uh, Love it. We also have a blog, Two Guys Build the Biz, on YouTube where we document stuff just like, you know, kind of following your lead here. So <laughs> Good, man. But uh, my, my question, I just wanted to talk about um, data privacy. I know for a lot of our clients, it's, uh, it's a concern. You know, people are worried about targeting being taken away, you know, household income, basically those big um, data collections that uh, yeah, I get it. companies have been leveraging. To me, as an advertiser, I look at it as a positive because it's really going to make competition, you know, more difficult, more difficult to target. But in reality, you talked about like owning data. I think there's a big opportunity for people to just advertise smarter and, um, you know, really do a better job rather than using these big data sets that who knows how they even got the thing. So um, I was just curious, like what your opinion on just like the, the privacy changes yeah, with Facebook and I get it. how that's gonna evolve. Ken, you go first, I'll go second. I mean, I think that one of, the, one of the cultural or historical factors that impedes Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg is Facebook has always had a low opinion of privacy. 
has always felt that we're in the business of sharing information, mm -hmm. of communicating, yep. of creating communities, yep. and that and that our consumers yes. are less concerned about privacy yes. than, than maybe some other people yep. are. Increasingly, however, we're, we're learning that consumers are more concerned about privacy than Mark Zuckerberg. Can witness him yeah. being compelled to appear before Congress. Can real quick on that because I think it's an important point. You know how people like to say things and then do something else? Do you believe, this is just one man's opinion, do you believe this conversation about people caring about privacy is more conversation versus what they actually do in real life, in their behavior? Because it's you, important. Uh, yeah. It is. I, I think that clearly, historically, Americans are less concerned, are, are less agitated and sure. concerned about privacy than yes. Western Europeans. That's are. right. Witness the yes. EU rules on privacy that have just been imposed. However, if, if you think about what, what the advertisers say the future is, yes. targeted ads yes. that, that feel don't feel like ads but yep. feel like informational. Yep. So imagine, Gary, you're walking yep. down the street. Yep. We have your GPS. Yep. We know that you bought a sport jacket at Barney's yep. two months ago. Yep. You're only two blocks from Barney's, yes. Gary. Um, if you go into Barney's now, yes. we'll give you 20% off yes. your new sport jacket. Yes. Now, how does Gary respond to that? Tremendously. Well, or you might see that as a service tremendously, as you say. Or, but some Garys might yeah. say, "How the hell do you know so much about me?" Well, they're going to. And know, I'm concerned about that. They're going to know because the cat's out of the bag, right? I think the bigger part here is. So my big thing on this is now we know. Now listen, if you're a common sensed American now, you're not like what. You don't think when you go on the internet, like it's impossible, now you know. And so the more interesting conversation comes next. This gets into a much more interesting macro convo about how humans work. There are humans that are scared of terrorism because it's pushed on them as a conversation, right? And then there's um, you know individuals who are like, hmm, if terrorism was as scary as I'm told it is, well then a car would be driving into Times Square every single day of the week, running into 39 people because it's fundamentally impossible. I will use my logical mind and so people make logical and emotional decisions. I want my data to be everywhere because I want to save time. Time is more valuable to me than anything else. But, but Gary, Please. Let, let, let's say you're right. Yeah. But let's say that 30... By the way, real quick, Derek. Derek, real quick, two things, because I don't want to, yeah. uh, please hang, but I think Ken and I are about to go in a rabbit hole, so I want to be respectful. Two things, brother. Number one, if Facebook had no targeting, none, zero, you know, like television, I, right, I would tell you that it would be the best ad product in the world, because what would happen is you would still have the attention of the end consumer, and yes, we would be guessing, and it wouldn't be fun for me to put wine ads in a feed where people don't drink wine, but guess what? I see car ads and beer ads, if I watched a commercial, 90% of the time on television during a sporting event, and I don't do either. So the price of Facebook ads to just get overall awareness would still be a remarkably better deal than 90% of the alternatives as long as the ads con money continues to not go in there by the big holding companies because they haven't figured out how to make enough margin in there. Yeah, but wait, let Please. me, let me I wanna, I'm not sure. You don't need to agree with everything again, let's talk about it. The 97% the of, of Facebook's revenues come from advertising. Yeah. And, and those revenues come largely from advertisers who say, I like the fact that you can target yeah. ads on Facebook. Today. It's not just about today. awareness. I, yeah. Today. And so if but, I but, can't target, if I don't have the data. It's Ken. It's because everyone's wrong about the awareness on Facebook. 
can. The awareness Facebook does is remarkably better than the DTC work that's happening on Facebook. Every entrepreneur is laughing at every big company in the world right now because they're making a fortune on the targeting capabilities on Facebook, to your point. What people don't realize is the real value of Facebook right now is top of the funnel awareness, but all the fucking madmen are too artsy fartsy and think a commercial is more special than a Facebook video. But, but wait, you're, Please. But, but you're, you're a guy who, would, who, would, uh, who doesn't like banner ads, Hate right? Hate isn't, isn't what you're talking about a, the equivalent of a banner ad on Of Facebook? course, but Ken, I ran banner ads for Wine Library in 1996 because they got 14% click-throughs back then. I don't like anything or I don't, hate anything. I like what customers are doing this second. I day, tra- I day trade attention. Brother, I day trade attention. I have no feelings for anything. I can't wait to make videos in nine years saying Facebook's fucking shit. How the fuck are you guys still in Facebook? How do you not understand AI? How do you not understand VR? How do you not understand influencer marketing on boo-boo.com? I have zero emotion. Once you have emotion, you're vulnerable. This is about day trading attention every second of the day. And the top of the funnel brand work at scale to move Coca-Cola and BMW lives in one place, Facebook. Almost no one's talking about that. All right, but the, Please. You, 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 you say something that's pregnant with, with uh, questions, which is yes. if in fact seven to nine years from now, yes. Facebook may be disrupted. Yes. Uh, I mean, I understand someone in a garage. Yes. At, be it Steve Jobs in yeah. a garage or Sally's or, in her garage right okay. now. But what what is in the how do you how do you disrupt to, uh, net, with network effects benefiting yeah. Yeah. A, a Facebook? Yeah. Two point two billion consumers. What what is you, the garage? You, you would have said you would have said the same. Th- well, first of all, platform changes. Yeah. So right now we're talking about visual in here. Hey Alexa, who's Mark Zuckerberg? You know, when we start going, when we, when, you know, I never knew Mark's middle name. Mark Elliott, Alexa, stop. Ken, you know this, when we move to a different platform, all bets off. I far, you know, there's only two companies I'm really bullish on, Facebook and Amazon. You know, when we go to voice, 2.2 billion get reset. You would have said the same thing about IBM. You would have said the same thing about Microsoft. You would have said the same thing about Google. You know that. Yeah, you know that. I, I, but actually, I, I well, said, you feel out of all the years of disruption, from Woolworths to Walmart, from all the years, you're telling me now this is the one. It's Facebook. It's this no, one. No, this no, one I, can't be but disrupted. I, I, I have a heart. I mean, I. Having written, for instance, yes. covering the Microsoft trial yes. in 2000, yes. and where the, the Justice Department yes. claimed, and the yeah. judge, yeah. the original judge, yeah. ruled that they should be broken up, yep. I thought it was a crazy decision because the a internet crazy and social networks right. going to break them up. That's right. I, I have a harder time with, with the benefits of network effects. Because you haven't spent time on blockchain enough. You haven't spent enough time on, vo- you just haven't spent enough time. But I watch, I watch Facebook buy Instagram That's and right. buy people who, potential, companies that could potentially sure. disrupt them. And the government's stepping back and allowing them to do Listen, that. Listen, if I you say, want the government to get involved, good news, sometimes I, they, I'm not saying you do. Yeah. Good news, sometimes they do. I'll tell you right now, Amazon is far, far more along in the leverage they have than Facebook well, is. Well, and I noticed you left Google off your list because you see Amazon I, I don't threatening think, them. Bro, my POV on Google and Apple is, it already happened to them through the merit of, of actual merit of business. Look, I believe left on merit, Facebook and Amazon get disrupted. I feel like that happens. I feel like there are moments in time that governments like to get involved because they get scared. I feel like Europe is 
more on privacy just because it's an older version of entitlement than America is. It's just 300 years ahead of us. You know? But they also had World War II and Hitler and I get it. And I get it. Fascism. I get it. But you know, look, it's not stopping nationalism across the world, right? So regulating Google is not going to change, you know, people's, you know, wiring of thank God, slightly more love than hate. And that always is gonna play itself out. Derek, I, I also think that your point is exactly right, brother, and I'm excited for the future of your business. It will be a practitioner's game. It is now, and you know this, even with all the data, to your point, the data has made a lot of advertisers lazy and not good. You know this, Derek. Even if you're an amateur, you could be good at Facebook because it's so underpriced and so good, right? Admit it, admit it right, right now. Exactly. Like you couldn't believe how good you were at it at first, knowing deep down in your heart, fuck, I don't even know anything yet. True or not? Yeah, for, for, a, local, for a local business to just take a at bat at running Facebook ads, they could do some serious damage without really knowing much at all. And all of a sudden um, you're the darling you know, of the ice cream truck. Yep. <laughs> exactly, but when it comes to like a, a national campaign or you know, like you talked about cracking Amazon or getting people to the, doing sales on their own e-com store or Shopify, like that's where it gets um, you know, more technical and where you know, leveraging data Yes, but, play, but let me tell sure. you this, as somebody who lived through early internet and then lived through early Google AdWords, the C players are still making way too much money on Facebook. That means the biggest yeah. companies in the world are not pouring the proper amount of money in there. Derek, your game, your game with Facebook is to continue to hope that the companies that Ken wrote about in Frenemies continue to think that they can make more margin on their own DSP and programmatic and on television because as long as they keep doing the wrong thing for the biggest clients in the world, you and I will continue to eat in their selfishness. Exactly, well said, I Thank love you. it. Thank you, you got it man, take uh, care. I'm Ken, oh shit, sorry Derek. Ken, I really believe that last statement. I, I'm very, you know, I am not Mother Teresa. I, I, I put legacy over currency, so that drives my actions, and my ambitions of buying brands just happen to, by accident, align my interests better with my clients. That be, my clients getting better services from Vayner is absolutely a collateral from my selfish ambition, but it is playing out. No, I, I mean, listen, if they were smarter and more attuned to the reality of what's happening, they would fear you more than they do. You mean the holding companies? Yeah. Of course, but, they're, but them and the clients are, it has nothing to do with smart, and you know this, you learned this a long time ago. When you're a 71-year-old executive, and you're leaving in 24 months, and you've worked your ass off, and you wanna buy three villas and a yacht, you're saying one thing, I'm gonna do nothing to disrupt to disrupt the stock price so that when I leave, I can strike and there's no way I'm gonna, VaynerMedia doesn't make money. My poor CFO wants to punch me in the face every day because I'm investing in voice and in AI and machine learning and influencer and Singapore. He's like, hey, let's make a little bit. I'm like, no, this is our time. Or the legacy companies, the holding companies say, will buy Gary. That's right. Company. And what they don't and when know. Gary says I won't sell to you. And and there's something else about Gary that's funny. And I don't know where this chip came from. Maybe I was short when I was a kid. I was an immigrant. There's a million reasons I can come up with it. It's not about me. I'm going to do a uh, great. So Vayner's going to be a 2 billion dollar company. Peanuts. It's that I'm obsessed with inspiring Derek and Sally to stay independent and then shit gets real interesting. Gary's going to do a nice little job with Vayner and do a couple billion. 
Gary inspiring an entire generation to tell the holding companies to go fuck themselves because they actually make more money with staying independent in the long term, that's a big fucking problem. And you're right, if they really, 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 really knew what I was up to, because usually they rely on greed, not legacy. And when you get a character that comes along that cares about legacy and knows how to do comms better than anybody else, your industry's in but big you, fucking trouble. You should trouble. define for your, Please. For your viewers what you mean by legacy. For me. Reputation? Uh, yeah, repu- current reputation that only grows. You know, I Got wanna it. be the reverse of Christopher Columbus. I mean that. I, I know who I am, I know how I roll. I like that, here's what I like about the way I roll that I wanna inspire other people to roll. I love that the people that know me the best like me and admire me the best. I don't mind people that see me cursing on stage saying he's a charlatan. I have empathy, I understand why they would go there. I know what I look like as a cover. But I know, I like to be, have a good reputation with the people that know, right? And then I like that it will grow in respect as it looks back upon to really under, what I'm really doing with 15 year olds on Instagram right now and the propaganda of kindness and gratitude and empathy and being the bigger person, the things that I'm teaching to a generation of alpha males right now, I will never reap the benefits of that work today, but I think my grandkids are gonna be really proud when people chat about it, once people can dissect it. And I have a great benefit that Muhammad Ali and others didn't have. It's all being documented. And you know, I have very big ambition. And I, and I see document it. What's that? We're documented. I film my this. whole goddamn life. You know, like it's, it's, a very, it's a very big ambition. I'm up for the challenge, but I will say this. It is all built on the thing that you've covered your entire career, which is this amazing audacity. It, people doing the wrong thing for short-term economics at the expense of their legacy. I can't wait you know, it's for history to talk about this era. You, you mentioned earlier that I came to you through Beth Comstack That's right. at GE, and I said to Beth, I said, Beth, who should I talk to who is a disruptor in, in the business? Mm-hmm. She said, Gary Vaynerchuk and VaynerMedia. And, and in fact, you are one of the people mm-hmm. I profile as, as a disruptor, and the other is, is Bob Greenberg at RGA, mm-hmm. who basically says I, the ad agency is, is a dinosaur. That's right. It, it has to, you have to redefine yourself in another way. A real and legend. both of you guys, I, I spent time with in the book as juxtaposed to yes. the WPPs yes. and the others. Ken, I appreciate you being here. My pleasure. Ken, on uh, the show, we, the guest gets to ask the question of the day. And you know, as a research man, I don't mind where you go with this. Maybe you already know the next thing you wanna write. Maybe there's something that you're just curious about. You've got a ton of entrepreneurs skewing under 40 pretty aggressively. Uh, you know, what question of the day do you have for them? Doesn't have to stay in the context of our talk even, because I know your brain's always working on the next thing potentially. Or maybe just, I don't know, how the Mets are gonna finish their season. I don't care where you go with it. Well, I'm, I'm not gonna ask you how you're gonna buy the New York Jets. Not me, you're, you at, you're, you're asking them. And, and I, um, my 13th book, I would like to be a biography, and I'm wrestling with mm. who is a great biography subject. And so Damn. all ideas are welcomed. I love that. You've never done that. I've, I've done profiles of I know, people in I know, the New Yorker I know, for years. I know, But I, I, I've never, I'd like to exercise another muscle by writing a biography. I love it. But I don't want to do historical biography because I like to interview people, and I can interview dead people. I love it. Ken, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. You keep asking questions, we'll keep answering them. 
Thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. The podcast has been exploding. So many of you are new. It means the world to me. Thank you so much. And please, 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 you know, if I bring you any value, it would just mean the world to me if you passed it on. Like screenshooting your screen right now and posting it on Instagram stories or on a tweet or on LinkedIn. I'm just so desperate for the explosion of the podcast because I bring it brings so much value and and if you can do anything, so many of you, like literally 10,000 DMs and emails a week, what can I do for you? I'm not looking for anything. You don't need to buy the sneakers. You don't need to buy the, the, the books. You don't need to do anything. But passing on my content just means the world to me. So please do if you think it's worth it.